Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Welcome to The Signal Line. I'm Daz Smith and this is the podcast for everything remote viewing. Today's podcast is the 21st of May 2021 Open Remote Viewing Discussion, hosted by Russell Pickering and involving the remote viewing community. This podcast includes topics, lots of opinions, comments, advice and heated discussions. Enjoy the podcast and please leave us any comments and feedbacks below. Okay, everybody. Hello. Happy Friday. I hope you're all doing well. Before we started the recording, Joff um, brought up a, a topic. So, Joff, why don't you go ahead and introduce your topic and explain, you know, what you're interested in? Well, it's it's not an interest. It's a, a consideration. It's a thought that I just wondered if anybody else is thinking the same way you know uh, like these discussions are wonderful you know as moving forward in in uh, in remote viewing you know the evolution of remote viewing um like what uh tom mcnear had mentioned the the, the phonics and, and and the uh statics and the analytics uh, as being um seven eight or nine i i I don't. I don't think remote viewing stagnated. I, I, it just after thirty years of not being on on you know thirty years ago that was being filtering into remote viewing. If anybody's ever thought of it, or if anybody's ever you know pushed to to see if we can get to these other stages, and the other part of my thing is. Um, is you know the future of remote viewing you know as far as the leaders and leadership stepping up because there's a lot of young obviously there's a lot of young talent out there and i think several of them are in this room here you know with fabian and, and david and daz and that so you know that's it that's it's not okay. really a formulated thought it's a consideration <clears throat> okay so does anybody have any uh ideas experiment or experiences regarding first of all within the process of remote viewing itself an expansion and then second uh what what will the collective of remote viewers do or become moving toward the future i think i think Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um, you know, I, as far as the, the going further, as far as uh, going further with it, like stage-wise and stuff, that, that would be an interesting um, interesting thing to pursue. But as far as, as, far as the, the guard is concerned, you know, I don't know if it's on everybody's mind, but, it, you know, it's certainly something I think about. I mean, Angela is just in the hospital. 
Paul and Lynn are getting older. I know that, you know, Paul's probably wanting to retire, I'm sure. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, we, we've all had the advantage of them just being there this whole time. And, you know, it's just something to kind of think about. Um, where, where's, where's CRV going in particular um, as time moves on? I mean, I know Daz has still got a lot of good years left in him. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, that's all I wanted to say, really. Well, yeah, I, myself, regarding extra stages, I would, I would present a question to everybody. What, what extra stages or what additional uh, experience or what, what, what do people want out of it? I mean, what, what is missing from, if you look at RV as a broad community, there are people having very different methods. Uh, SRV, you could say, uh, some of the immersive aspects. Uh, people who are doing freelance. You, you know, so where 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 does it stop? Where do you want it to go? Do you want to be able to just zip somewhere out of body and give a you know perfect and full description? Do you, you know, so, so there's, there's some narrowing down of that topic. And then also, what, what is the function you want to achieve? So in CRV, and I was just reading a little bit of Ingo's work uh, yesterday, you know, he saw it as a specific tool in a specific context for a specific purpose, which was to gather intelligence effectively originally for uh, military purposes. So is CRV gonna become more or is CRV, CRV for that function and then something else could become more or freelance methods, you know, any, any number of possibilities seem to be there so where, I mean, what, what, what are people yearning for that they're not experiencing that would cause a movement into, you know, extra stages? And if there's extra stages, do they have to be put on CRV? I mean, you think about ERV, um, that's pretty immersive. And it's different in terms of how people experience it, generally a, a monitor is required. So are we talking about one thing becoming everything or are we talking about different categories? Well, I think, I think first off, you know, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge thought and it's just, I didn't have it written down. It's just, I, I, I noticed on both Daz's page and on Paul's page, you know, uh, the, one, the one common thing that all of us in this room are doing is constantly reminding people what what good training is and and you know there's just there there's so many people that are that that are just espousing all of this nonsense of of what it's what it's not and uh you know i, I don't know I, I maybe it's a topic for it's a topic that should be formulated and broken down and uh 
for another discussion or whatever, because it is, it is broad. You, you, you know, you thinking out loud just throughout a, a number of uh, subtopics, you know. Well, no, I mean, I mean like, it, it, a conversation always starts with yeah. speculation. No, none of yeah. us knows the answer. I don't. Yeah. Um, but when, when I look at it, you can see, like, for instance, I mean, one, if you want to talk about extra stages, first of all, Tom is doing a presentation Sunday. Sunday, yeah. Miss for my life, uh, uh, yeah. APP. And they also now uh, have, instead of $350, you can, you can purchase by the day for 100 Oh, wow. So if you just, so I'm, I want to see Tom's uh, Saturday Mars yeah. talk. He's going to go a little bit further on that than he has in the past. And then I definitely want to see his uh, stage seven talk explaining how it just basically appeared. He and Ingo, you know, adjusted. Now, if you're going to look at stages beyond that, the reality is, and, and Daz knows what I'm talking about when um, I'm talking about a, a session and not, not just this session, but where Ingo literally had what could only be described as a telepathic exchange. Tom talked about communing with uh, the beings that he encountered on Mars. Lori also mentioned uh, a Mars encounter she had that was very similar. And we know that Joe McMonagall had some sort of a dialogue with a being that perceived him as a, you know, a, a delusion or a ghost or whatever it was. <laughs> so is telepathy a stage that naturally arises out of CRV? I, I don't, I don't know, but when you look at the, at the dialogues in, in some of these uh, situations that started, cause Tom's Mars session was straight CRV, Ingo and uh, Bob Durant, did a second moon session that uh, sounds like, at least from the transcript, that it started a CRV, but it, it ended up with what appeared to be dialogue. <laughs> so, you know, what is, you know, how, how would you formulate that? How would you train that? I mean, there's just so many good questions. May I butt in on this very briefly? Mm, yes. Sure. I, yeah. There is a, Misconception, I think, that CRV is, or indeed any methodology, but CRV in particular, that, that that is what is enabling us to do these things and have these different perceptual modalities. And CRV was designed to make being a psychic teachable to guys in the army. It's not that it's not in CRV, so you can't do it, or CRV describes what being psychic is like. CRV describes a really good way to teach people to be psychic. So to say, we've got all these other things. I, I telepathically asked somebody's wife what they wanted to have for dinner two nights ago, and I got a hit. It was beans for the record. But I didn't do a stage one. You know, that's mm -hmm. not stage anything. You can just do that. Yeah. Um, so I think we should think about CRV and the other structures as, as structures in which we learn and teach rather than if it's not in there, we can't do it yeah. or we have to do it a certain way, like master the rule book and then throw it away. Well, we'll keep yeah. It, you know, keep the useful bits, but. Yeah. I don't know about throwing it away, but um, 
Ingo in his, uh, I think it was his 2002 Irva talk said that he had determined there was 37 <laughs> different types of telepathy. And so as one who's, who's had a fair amount of training in that area, there, there really is that variety of telepathy. Telepathy isn't just one thing. There's a, a whole, there's modalities within telepathy. And, and you're right. I mean, there's people who, who are incredibly telepathic or empathic right out of the gate, natural. They never even heard of CRV and they're exceptional at it. So in that sense, um, an inter interview that Ingo had with Art Bell was very interesting where Art Bell was asking about some of the weird things that happened in the unit. And Ingo said, yeah, when you turn on that switch, it's not going to just give you this narrow window. It's going to open up. And he talked about people starting to perceive entities and, and different things. The analogy I like is if I look out my window, my intent is to see only the tree. I'm still going to see the grass. I mean, it's, I'm looking out the window now. So, so as this perceptual window opens, and you're right, I mean, could you call it you know, a starter package or a training wheel or what have you to get that process going as, as you know, CRV and, and it can go other places from there. But I still wouldn't say that this just disposing of CRV. Daz has been a natural psychic. He's had all kinds of interesting experiences. His book, uh, Surfing the Psychic Internet is fascinating all of that before CRV. Then once he's encountered it, now um, he's taken his adaptation, what he's found about himself and how his perceptual system works and um, uses CRV structure essentially routinely. You know, he hasn't given it up to become a ball of light and, you know, just directly perceive everything in the universe, right? So it's an interesting topic. Uh, Rich has patiently had his hand up. David, are you done? Yeah, yeah. My, okay. my only other point was to say Rich and Paul have had their hand up for ages. So, yeah. Yes. Can I just add some on this topic before we move on there? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Um, I don't think we need extra stages. I think CRV and any of the other methodologies that, that kind of copied it uh, are good for what they do. I just think people need to realize that when you move out and you start doing operational work, and if your operational work has a theme to it, then you have to uh, you have to realize that your method has whatever method probably has to change dependent on the specific information you need to get. For example, if you're working missing persons cases, six stage CRV out the box doesn't really help much with finding a locate because all the police want is a GPS coordinate of the location of the missing person. So that doesn't, ha that doesn't happen very easily using a standard CRV six-stage process. You kind of have to develop new tools or find tools like dowsing uh, and other tools to find locational data. Uh, and another instance, you know, I'm doing lots of work on uh, cryptocurrencies and markets at the moment. And again, CRV straight out of the box, it's a good tool, but the, the six-stage process doesn't have what you need there to be able to draw financial markets, which is what the client wants for their specific needs. So again, I'm having to find ways to uh, change the ideogram process that when I do the ideograms now, 
I'm doing it with the intent that the ideograms uh, are there to mimic the flow of the market for the coming month. So I just think I just think that whatever method you use, you don't need extra stages for it. If you're going to go down specific need markets, you need to find tools to adapt that method en- enough to get the specific information that's needed. That's mm. all really. Okay. Uh, Rich? Yeah, I didn't really have a new topic, uh, just a point on this topic. Um, so I do not do CRV, uh, so I can say that. So I don't really have a leg to stand on in this particular question, but... I think we all understand that, you know, telepathy, ESP, psychical abilities, it's an umbrella. Obviously, CRV is just an element underneath that, a column or whatever. So I guess it, I guess it's more a philosophical question of, you know, what is CRV? And, you know, is it a rigid box of saying, hey, this is CRV and nothing out of it is? That's not to say it's wrong or you shouldn't do it. But, hey, this is CRV. Um just like that's a rabbit, that's a zebra, but they're both mammals kind of deal, right? But so uh, like Daz, you've met Ingo. What was kind of the spirit of the law in terms of uh, his vision? Did he feel like CRV, do you know? Did he feel like CRV was a rigid kind of paradigm or was CRV meant to expand? Uh, And on top of that, should we have some sort of uh, accreditation through Paul Smith or Lynn Buchanan not as a, uh, a police officer on psychical abilities, but just to say exactly what CRV is. And if you do not do that, it's not CRV. Well, good questions. Uh, on the CRV thing though, I mean, uh, I asked and we talked about lots of things, but we didn't spend hours talking about CRV because we skirted lots of different subjects. Um, he was a little bit despondent about uh, the use of CRV at, at that stage, but but from reading his documents and his papers, he was very you know he's very defensive about CRV, uh, especially his, what he classes as his CRV, how he taught it, you know, anyone that deviated from that I think is um, uh, would be problematic in calling it CRV. Um, but I don't think people, I personally don't think people deviated from it too much at the moment. Um, it could, you know, now that we're seeing, because I don't know if you've seen the uh, methods map that I did with the generations of people that are now teaching it. I am slightly worried that now that we're in something like the seventh or eighth generation of people teaching CRV, that it might be going through the photocopy type process, whereas each iteration you lose a little bit of detail. Um, so that does worry me that, that that could happen. But there are people out there like Gail Husick who... Um, I don't think it's a secret that she owns the trademark now on the words controlled remote viewing. And if you're not, if, if you're a person that's not teaching it in a, in a, a way that she feels is concurrent with uh, controlled remote viewing, she would probably send you a letter and tell you that you can't use the term controlled remote viewing. I don't know how enforceable that's going to be into the future, but there are people with aims like that. Um, which have its uh, have its true meaning at heart and want to protect it. But as to changing it, um, didn't the military change it anyway when they started introducing dowsing? That wasn't that's not a natural CRV stage. Um, as I said, I change I change it. I use I use specific things. You know, if if I'm in a session and I feel that there's a life form there that I could 
linked to in some way. I don't know if you call it telepathy or what. I don't know what it's called. But if I feel that I could get into the mind of that person, get information, I just do it. I don't think I don't devise a stage for it. I just do it there and then on the spot. But I've never seen it in any official CRV structure of how to do it. I think it's just for each of us to, you know, find our own tools. I think CRV is absolutely fantastic as a, as a teaching mechanism. And I think this about every, uh, every uh, probably every method out there, but every kind of thing that goes along the same kind of stream as this, like martial arts, I feel that, you know, for they're good to train you in techniques and what you're doing. But I feel that after a certain amount of years, after you feel you've mastered it to a certain level, you need to adapt and be a bit more fluid. You know, I did the same with martial arts. I trained in martial arts for many years, different ones. Sometimes a certain kick didn't work for me. You know, I couldn't spin fast enough with my short legs to connect to a certain part of the body. So I had to adapt, throw that one out and pick something else that, that, that worked for me. I think that it's the same, but you know, I wouldn't recommend anyone did anything like that until that they had a base level of years. You know, if you're practicing CRV or SRV or whatever, do it for four or five, six years solidly, you know, two structure until you had everything down pat, until it was pure muscle memory. And then if it's not working for you in a, uh, in an operational specific need scenario, maybe start thinking, you know, then think to yourself, okay, I'm a, I'm an individual. What works, what works for me in this scenario? Um, but yeah, you know, protecting it. I think, I think there are enough people out there to protect it. Hopefully it will be protected CRV a, a little bit more. As I said, I'm slightly worried that it's going to go down the photocopy route, but I don't think we're there yet. Do you know if there's like, what, do you have any ideas that you've thought of to prevent that or is it unpreventable? Cause that's how everything works eventually. The problem is humans. And I've seen this over, over the couple of decades of this now, when they come out with their own method, they, you know, they have a tendency to overcomplicate what they add. Um, and it doesn't have any um, proof of concept behind it. Like, Ingo and the others did with CRV. So I'm dubious about everything like, um, uh, you know, uh, let's say Courtney Brown's SRV stuff. Uh, I was talking to, I think, David the other day because I literally just found, I've been going through my attic here and I found all my remote viewing sessions from 1996. And I found the first iteration of uh, in, uh, Courtney Brown's SRV uh, version one because that was the only method available in 1996 that you could train in. Nothing else was public. And I was reading through it the other day and I was thinking, wow, this is actually really quite good. You know, you did a really good job on, on this. Um, but I've also seen his advanced SRV and later iterations of SRV. I think he's on like version four or five now. And he's very much overcomplicated it with his, with his overthinking of it. Um, so I do worry that some people are making changes and, and possibly overthinking them. But I haven't, I, you know, I haven't seen too much of it. And it's quite weird that we're talking about this because I've literally just been having a conversation with Tom McNair on this over, over email, um, over especially the ideogram process and stuff. And, you know, I'll, 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 I'll bring some out on that in, in, in hopefully a few weeks when it's, when it's written properly. But, you know, I, I, and I, uh, in the conversation uh, I, with Tom, I've actually gone through everyone's method who's training uh, RV out there at the moment, TRV, LearnRV, SRV, TDS, looking at all the ways that, they, that they're doing the ideogram process. And to be honest, there's not huge amounts of difference so far in them. Um, yeah, you know, most of them are keeping to 
uh, a combination of visual aspects and feeling motion of it and stuff. So, yeah, it's not straight. I don't think it's straight too far yet, uh, especially on the CRV people. Um, I think some people like Courtney have gone a bit too far and a bit too complicated. But, yeah. If it works for them, it works. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I like that Bruce Lee uh, kind of methodology, keep what works. Yeah, Jikundu, yeah, the yeah. way of the intercepting <laughs> fist. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Okay, anything else, Rich? No, thank you. you. Oh, no, no. You can take your hand down then. And um, Now, Daz, I, I didn't see uh, both Ida and Paul Cosby have their hands up. I don't know who was first. Did you see how long Paul's been waiting? I think it's been a <laughs> I think Paul was first. Okay, Ida, we'll get to you right after Paul. Paul, do you want to uh, pop in? And yeah, hi, Russell. Can you hear me okay? I'm using a different computer. You actually sound real clear. Oh, okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, I'm using a uh, Hewlett-Packard set of a MacBook. Um, you had asked about where we're heading for this, and I had, I had a number of comments. Uh, when I was in the third grade, I never heard of college, no less thought I'd be going to college, no less graduate school, no less what my final career was. I, none of that was uh, something I was even aware of, no less we're heading for. And maybe CRV is the same. You know, Bill Gates, about a couple of decades ago, wrote a book called The Road Ahead. And in it, he said that the internet, which was quite new back in those days, would initially be dedicated to to pornography. And he, he thought that was a good thing. Um, I'm not sure that's, we quite would feel the same way about what is said after more recent events, but, the, uh, it, but what he meant was that that would help develop things so that it could evolve into something further. And, and look, we, you know, we have these Zoom meetings, people don't go to offices anymore. Uh, anything you want is on the internet. You don't go to a library. Look, look how the internet has evolved. And I think CRV and RV and whatever methodology you use is, is potentially gonna do the same. And we started out with military and intelligence and some of those folks when they split off went into missing persons. And, and then you have the, the whole farsight thing going into the extraterrestrials and the history of the planet and, and uh, telepathy of the extraterrestrials. I, I, yeah, where do we head? I, I think remote viewing is a natural thing, and we don't recognize it uh, as a natural thing on any kind of uh, collective consciousness yet. So I think that's one of the goals is that people need to, but how you're going to use it, I think, may be quite individual. I tried to do cryptos and it was quite unsuccessful, but I'm very successful using. RV for other topics. I, for some reason, I have a block with uh, cryptos and, and I recognize that. And so I don't try to go that way. I go in other directions. And uh, as to all the advanced stages that Ingo uh, had developed, but he didn't release, maybe the time's not right for that. And there are, there are other things, you know, for example, I, I was watching a a video by Angela Smith uh, about uh, extended remote viewing. And uh, it, it, this is a really amazing thing. It's quite, it, you know, it's like, it's like a whole total expansion beyond remote viewing because instead of just having data, 
you're actually bilocated. But if you try to bilocate with remote viewing, or at least with CRV, that's considered uh, something you have to, to break away from and not continue with because it can, it, it, it's not what you're looking for. But with ERV, bilocation is exactly what you're looking for. But ERV requires a psychic ability and remote viewing does not. So, you know, I, I don't know if we know where we're heading and maybe we should just let it evolve naturally. Okay. Any, anything else? Okay, Ida, hang on just a minute. I'm going to throw a couple ideas uh, back at uh, Paul. You know, ultimately, we're, we're talking about a massive, massive field called perception. I mean, almost perception almost defines existing. If you're having an experience or being aware of something, you're existing. I mean, you know you're the one perceiving it. So the modality of perception could be so huge. And in, in this case, I'm kind of referring back to some of the ancient yogiism um, and various other practices uh, that involve perception, but aren't specifically on the, the, the goal of perception. So Ingo constantly referred uh, to the ancient, what they call cities, S-I-D-D-H-I-S, I think it is, one of which was traveling clairvoyance. Some interpretations of that um, from the Yoga Sutras are also distant seeing. And Ingo always credited the, those, those sources. Uh, recently, some new information came out from John Knowles um, about Ingo, uh, at one point crediting two Victorian women in, around the 1905-1906 era, uh, era that have been doing some experiments. And when you look at his uh, bringing Rene Warcollier back out of history in the present time and different things. So he didn't have, he didn't have a, a, a grandiose idea about himself creating something new. So in this huge spectrum of what we call perception, he had this you know, particular box. And even within that box, these terms have evolved. So when you say remote viewing doesn't take psychic skill, I might take a little tiny bit of, of a pushback on that, where Ingo talked about that quite a bit, especially in his uh, essays, which are still archived online. If you go to his current website and click on BioMind, you can download a, a PDF with like 1,372 pages, which includes a lot of his writings. It was his uh, original website. So his auto, autobiography is on there and some other things. And, and that's a, a good place to start looking at some of this. Um, but it took a lot of effort there at ASPR where the term remote viewing originated in 1971. In a separate book, Dr. Mitchell, who was one of Ingo's uh, scientists, talks about how hard he trained. Like for instance, he had a hard time perceiving a particular color and he would just go over and over and over and over again until he could start to get that color perceived out of, out of, you know, and out of body as he described it. 
Now that was a term of convenience. Later in multiple places, he said, I don't even think we're in a body. Certainly we're associated with one, but I don't believe a body can contain the fullness of a being. And I, and I tend to agree with that. So when he was deciding between remote sensing, which was one of the terms up for consideration, and the other was um, remote viewing, he consented to remote viewing in a consult with the other um, uh, scientists there, because after all, he said, I'm, I'm viewing a distant place. So that term was coined then specifically for that type of experiment. Then it shifted and became applicable, but back to uh, say ERV, people were doing that in the unit before CRV was even formulated. So CRV in Ingo's mind, at least as I perceive it, was a, a specific tool for a specific purpose. And I believe he achieved that, but I don't think Ingo in any way thought that CRB was the end all and be all of perception. So like Daz says, so if we have this thing and we just time capsule it, say up to this part, stage seven, whatever, that's CRB. That's how it was created. That's what it was intended to be. And from there, even like something like the summary, the summary of a session was added later in the unit. It wasn't a part of the original CRV. Then as Daz said, uh, the um, uh, dowsing, okay? So even a, a Ingo taught student like Paul Smith, who's now of course an instructor himself in his courses, he teaches you summary. He teaches you dowsing. You in the advanced course, you get a day of dowsing. You get a day of how to remote view people. And so these peripheral tools that kind of moved in, well, then all of a sudden CRV itself wants to for coordinate remote viewing and then became controlled. And I saw something very interesting uh, that Daz shared with me yesterday that Ingo wanted it to be called controlled the whole time. He didn't want it to be called coordinate, but because they were originally using coordinates, that, that name stuck. So remote viewing went through a little bit of an evolution of a definition, and then CRV itself did, you know, from coordinate to controlled because they discovered these things. So I guess the question for me is where does CRV stop and then whatever evolution could be something else. So for instance, the people who come up with their own modality and they say, well, I, I trained with Ingo, like say, let's say Ed Dames. And that's how Ingo taught it. He acknowledges that and then steps aside. But I created TRV and I did it for these reasons or Courtney, you know, I created SRV. So those could be considered evolutions for sure. And the, and the people who created it owned it. They didn't claim that Ingo taught them SRV or TRV or whatever. They just took something out and they moved it. Like I was trained in TRV. I can see, clearly see what Ed Ames was trying to get at. He, he was trying to solve some problems um, that 
would simplify the, the startup process. Um, I don't know anything about SRV uh, in terms of its training or its methods, so I can't speak on that. So are these you know, evolutionary branches? You have CRV and, and so Daz's map, history map is really clear and it's really interesting because then you can say, oh, this person learned from this person, learned from this person. And again, the ones that have come up with their own names, they, they've, they've owned their product. They're not claiming, you know, that, that it, was, it was from Ingo or, or anybody else, say secret people on the inside. So I think when we look at this, where Daz's map, if you look at it, you've got this big core and then you can see these things coming off and, and it's not dissimilar to uh, an evolutionary chart where you look and you see this species and then this thing and that and so forth. So I would have to say it's the field that we call remote viewing is evolving but do we have to call everything CRV? Do we have to change CRV? Do we have to evolve CRV or add stages to it? I, I would offer not. And, and the reason I say this with Daz, and, and people, you know, they know me as obnoxious about this topic and it's fine. I do it on purpose. It's not a personal issue and I'm getting nothing out of it. In fact, generally I bring more problems on myself than anything. I think we're honestly at a point where maybe two years or three years from now, someone's gonna be saying they're a remote viewer and then they're, the next thing they're gonna say is Ingo who? And it's not like anybody, I mean, Ingo wouldn't accept any kind of you know, worship or being a cult leader. He would, he would poo poo all of that. It's not about that. It's, it's like, what if we took, what if I started a forum called E equals MC squared? And I dissociate that entirely from Einstein. And then I dissociate Einstein from the other physicists that he drew information from that coalesced. You, we couldn't take E equals MC square and pretend Einstein doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's you know, history is important. And Ingo drew from multiple sources. Each of those people before Ingo drew from multiple sources. So at this point in time where CRV was created, you could see this phylum of all these different species coming there. And then from there, these other things. So I am for creating an anchor point in time and saying, as far as we know and what Ingo himself revealed, there, there's, there's this thing, because he really lamented um, in his own writing the degradation of the term remote viewing to mean just anything. And he said, and literally now he ended this, the statement with, now we're back to square one. So, so the distinction and the uniqueness and the recombining of everything, you know, uh, you know, he had so many influences and studied so many things and was just relentless about knowledge. And you look at his letters, he's communicating with the top experts in the world in almost every field. So I say th that we, we kind of need to, to do this. And there is a certain respect, I think, that goes toward the originator of something. He, he labored hard and he suffered greatly. 
and many of his hopes and dreams along the way were kind of crushed. And in that sense, he put a flag out in this field of perception where it's the first time something was relatively easily trainable, repeatable, verifiable. And ironically, people are like, well, we don't trust the government. But if the government hadn't validated uh, CRV, it wouldn't have the same credibility. That's why people you know, responded to it the way they did. So me as a person who just, you know, I mean, probably some average psychic abilities could come struggle and, and, and still, you know, be on a major learning curve, but the training and, and the, the process of doing it, it's, it's changed my life and my perception. So it works and it works for that. Now, is that a diving board for other places? It, it could be. I just want people to consider what do we want remote viewing to mean nothing? And do we want CRV to still call it CRV and then twist it into a different bundle? And it's just like, you know, let's say I decided to just say Daz's website was mine and take Daz's name off it and do a bunch of different stuff. No, Daz earns the right and the credit. He's worked X amount of decades, okay? He's done the research, he's made the contacts, he's gotten information that wasn't available to any of us. So we're not gonna, at some point, pretend Daz doesn't exist and take that away from him. So in that sense, just a sense of fairness, a sense of, of history, and one of the most respectable things about Inga was he credited literally everybody involved. And when he couldn't remember 500 names, he said there was 500 people at SRI working on this and, fe and feeding the process. He actually has deferred the, the term father of remote viewing to Hal several times in interviews. So it's not like Ingo himself was saying, you know, I'm great, but if you read some of his private transactions, letters and different things, you will find out that he was protective of the term in the process, remote viewing and subsequently CRV. So that's my two cents. I, I, I do find it valuable. I'm gonna continue working towards it, but as people you know, Daz has uh, worked with uh, Tom on uh, the ideogram and I've been working with Tom and Paul doing some research uh, for them on, um, really taking a close look at these extra stages and what appears to be the case or possibly the case. Um, and working with Tom is, you know, it's a pleasure. He, he instructs you, he talks to you, you know, and he's come back at me with some things that I didn't want to believe or soften up on. And said, so, but, you know, Russell, you gotta, you gotta soften up a little bit, you know, on this or that. Paul uh, is the same, and I'm sure Daz will, you know, kind of agree with what I'm saying. I'm not part of the um, ideogram thing that he and Tom are working on. He but, did the same with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and when you respect someone as much as, as Tom deserves respect, those kind of little rebukes sting a little. There's no doubt about it. But he's he, having been Ingo's student himself, 
is basically said, you know, don't be so rigid, don't be such a hard ass. You kind of gotta take the full spectrum, you know. So I'm 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 in process on that myself. I, I'd rather just say this is the way it is, and that's that, and oh, you know. So so all of us, I think, have incredibly unique abilities. We all have different perceptual mechanisms, even though perception itself is the fundamental. The getting along thing and going into the future, there's gonna be some problems with that. There's so-and-so students who are gonna be absolutely and determinedly faithful to so-and-so. I'm gonna um, most likely continue my uh, process with Paul and be somewhat defensive of that and others. So each of us has the right to do that. And each of us who's really grateful to somebody for what they've done for us, we'll, we'll probably stick with it. So we're gonna end up with different groups who are very aligned with their groups. Sometimes you look at, uh, you know, just as an analogy, the New Testament. So you have this event around a person. And then when the uh, disciples scatter, one went south, one went east, one went, you know, and they kind of end up with different stories. And then all of a sudden, there's a split out of that and you end up with the Anglican church and you end up with this and then you have a big reformation and now you've got a Protestant um, theology. So this human nature, it, it's just, it, and it happens on every topic, it happens in quantum physics. It's not just a religious spiritual thing. So we've got to incorporate that. But I do think some one camp of people need to be a little bit pr protective of that creation in that historical time spot. So there, now I'll try to make that my only tirade today, but I can't promise anything. All right, Ida, you've been incredibly patient. How about if you jump in and uh, offer your opinion? Well, thank you for the compliment, Russell. Um, I was um, a kindergarten teacher and developed that skill many years ago. Um, one, one of somebody earlier made the comment about the internet and I don't know everybody's background, but there was a time when you actually programmed a computer by flipping the little switches on and off. So you could program it on this exterior, uh, console and it's called binary code on or off okay I remember those days I mean I did a little bit of that and then there were developments of programming and now people pick up a I don't know I've got a well this is a custom laptop but um, and they turn it on and they think programming means oh, well, I can use, I can use Zoom, or I can use this, or I can use that, and I've got these two things interconnected, or I can use FaceTime, and nobody knows who invented the internet. Nobody's aware of what's behind the actual technology. They just use it, mm -hmm. and that is where, in my view, coming from when I started, you know, as a back in the way day um, as, as a teacher, we were teaching kids meditation, 
and uh, perception, since that's a good word to use. But we were teaching them that to create stability and um, a good atmosphere in the in the classroom and with their minds. And then then they would go into the room next door that had all of, um, I'm trying to think of what the Mario brothers, you know, Mario running across things. And those days, video games were not, we had a video game room. So these kids are, you know, they're learning to shoot people and squish people and all that kind of thing, but not as violent as the ones today that are virtual reality. So everything evolves. Now, um, if, if we're going to use the technology, I mean, which is what we're talking about. You have, you're talking about um, CRV and that is one technology. That is one structural technology. If we're going to use that for its designed purpose, which was intelligence gathering. I mean, the military is always on these things. I don't care which force it is, whether it's Mossad, KGB, or our military, whatever. There is a technology for that. And it has, a, you know, it, it's just that could be, well, you said somebody had the trademark. I can't remember. It was a woman's name. I thought Lynn Buchanan had it. But whoever has it, do they also own the structure, the actual technique, and do they license it out to other people? Because that's the only way to maintain that, um, that control. Somebody has to license it. If you want to, if you, if, if you start talking about accreditation, then you have to have a way to not only have a structure, but certify the instructors and then maintain licensure on it. And that hasn't, that hasn't been happening. I mean, any of these technologies, it's just like, I mean, I, there, these practices have been around for millennia. I mean, it used to be the shamans and they had a training school and you became a shaman and you did all these things. But now, and it's really funny because none of you can see me waving my hands here like I'm directing an orchestra. But the, um, the, um, the issue that, that I'm experiencing with all of this is that in this definition, it is a very, it's a structure, it's a technology, is it? I don't care who owns the trademark to that name, but is that structure copyrighted? Is it trademarked? And who owns that? And that, that preserves CRV. And then you have these others. I mean, Daz, do you own your, I mean, do you actually have it trademarked and the structure copyrighted? Then you own it. And then um, you license the people who, teach it it's we're talking about two different things anyone can own a trademark uh lynn i think first trademark controlled remote viewing and he's passed that now to uh another remote viewer called gail husick from the husick group 
she now owns the trademark for the words controlled remote viewing. But uh, if you're a creator uh, of, of anything artistic, uh, you automatically own copyright and Ingo owned and retained the copyright for the entire controlled remote viewing method, even though he, you know, he subcontracted and sold it through SRI to the military. Uh, I think Russell, Russell can confirm this, but there are multiple uh, documents and contracts with SRI uh, all indicating that Ingo uh, owned the copyright for controlled remote viewing. And since his death, I can only assume that if there were a copyright, it would have gone or transferred to his estate. But I don't believe they um, they are are, in, are are interested in any way in um, protecting a copyright on that. Not not from my discussions with them anyway. Uh, oh, they well. seem to think that they they seem to think that we should get away from CRV now, and Inga would want us to you know move in our own directions and and stop arguing about it kind of thing. But you know we'd have to get them to confirm that. But I don't think they're. I don't think they're in the mindset that they'd want to um, enforce uh, the copyright in any way, but I don't know. I mean, it's, there's a big, you know, there is a tremendous uh, dispute in the art, artistic and creativity worlds currently. And I mean, if you've written a book, you know that you get royalties and, um, residuals on anything that's done that's why i'm asking because when you talk about preserving crv the the structure um of how it's defined who has the copyright which is like 50 years after their death it it goes away unless somebody renews it um then there's um you're limited. I mean, you have to maintain that structure. You have to license it out to people and you have to, so somebody would be setting up a board to determine, is this person, you know, capable of delivering this? Because like everybody has said very kindly, I really appreciate how kind everybody has been in pointing out that people are aging out of the, you know, toward whatever, whatever you think is going to happen in the future, but that there will, there are young people who are coming up and yes, Daz, I would include you in that too. But the, the whole point of it is that as people, as you say, age out or move on to another stage of being life, um, who's, who's going to maintain quality standards? I think everybody is, is tiptoeing around that. Who's going to do the quality assurance on this? I would like to stick my oar in on this, if I may, um, draw a comparison. David, hold on one second. Daz, run the show for a minute. Um, I've got to run upstairs. I'll be right back. David, go. (laughs) Draw a comparison with another field, which is kind of a mixture of technical and intuitive. And there's not the sort of thing that you can do a multiple choice quiz on and say, I passed the exam. I'm a remote viewer. Uh, which is psychotherapy, where there is a, a kind of combined approach. Nobody is there trademarking. Well, maybe they are, but it's not like there's, there is the one way to do it and everything else is kind of less good and there's a trademark and will sue you. It's kind of like martial arts where 
you would be trained and supervised by somebody and learn something well and then you're kind of at some point considered to be capable and you can go off and invent your own stuff study different schools but then in tandem with that there are uh, certifying boards which will make sure that you have some qualification whereby you know the general history you've got a breadth of knowledge so you you can say you know I'm a remote viewer or I'm a psychotherapist or whatever you are um, and that can mean something but it doesn't mean you have to do everything the same way and kind of be part of a cult um, and I think that that's a more appropriate model for maintaining quality in RV than to say uh, we're going to trademark this thing and everybody has to do it exactly the same way and it's our way or the highway you know we, we could have something where it's like you do have to know who Ingo Swan was and where all this stuff came from, but you can show us that you can be a competent remote viewer and then you can go to your own thing. And if you come up with something better, then by all means, teach your students. It's all good. You can still call yourself a remote viewer and have the certificate on the wall and stop fighting. Anyway, that's, that's my soapbox. I guess the, uh, the, the issue is how far can you deviate from an original technique, but still call it that technique you know and i guess this goes across everything you know even martial arts how far can you uh training a, a form of karate or kung fu uh change it up mix it up add things of your own that you've learned somewhere else but then still call it the original technique that you initially learned I think well that's that would be the contrast between remote viewing as a whole and controlled remote viewing or srv or trv or all the other things you know because there's stuff, if you say, I'm a remote viewer, doesn't necessarily mean you're a CRV or a CRV yeah. or anything else. But we do, as a community, I think, really want somebody who says, I'm a remote viewer, to know about blinding and feedback and who the hell Ingo was, and just like yeah. the basic stuff, and be able to read a CRV session and have a, a suitable level of, you know, a certain number of hours under their belt, if you like. Um, but we don't require them to do stage one in a certain way. We require them to know what the hell we're talking about and get results and yeah. have students who do the same. You know, so I think maybe we're getting confused and tied in knots because we're conflating methodology with uh, the kind of the broader professional field. Anyway, really, I'm, I'm totally done soapboxing now. Well, I, I think it's good points, but I think it only really applies uh, any of this if someone then goes on to teach or train in a remote viewing and, you know, and if they make claims that, you know, I'm teaching, you know, as per the Ingo Swan method, when they're maybe clearly not, you know, I think it's up to each person that if they go off and do their own training or training in a methodology to be upfront on all their training material and say, okay, I originally trained in this, but, you know, over the years, I may have added my own slant to it. So be aware of that kind of thing. And if they don't say that, then, yes, it's a, it's an ethical problem, I think. I, yeah. I would agree with you there. To, to go back to a couple of things uh, Ida said and, and Daz implied, it's crystal clear that Ingo was the sole proprietor of CRV. I mean, there's numbers of government contracts that specify that. That was to the point that he would have his students do notes on one color of paper, essays on another color of paper, 
their daily report on another color of paper, pink, white, and yellow, so that he could look in their folder and he had the right to not even let the students take the materials out in public. So there's no question. Now the history of the trademark is this, uh, Lynn Buchanan trademarked it in 2010. I believe if I'm not mistaken, uh, one is only able to hold a trademark for 10 years. As one example, if you go to the trademark data search and put in technical remote viewing, um, Ed Dames' trademark has expired. So when that 10 years came up in 2020, um, a person who's very, very close to Lynn, Gail Husick, who's also an attorney, took that and under, I said, how can I put this? Under very fair discretion, a couple of people have popped up, said, you know, I knew Ingo and this is this, and it's not that. And so either Lynn or Gail will contact the person and say, okay, so there is that, I guess you call loose quality control. On the other hand, the way um, Daz related to Ingo's estate, Ellie is a very, very gracious person. And, you know, I, and I, I'm gonna confess, I'm guilty of this myself. She wouldn't want to see people fighting over Ingo. Um, but at the same time, she doesn't wanna see Ingo lost. And so she works closely uh, with Daz, who's done some of the new book covers. She stays in close communication with uh, Tom and others, okay? So there's, there's a, a loose dialogue going on where she doesn't, because she realizes, you know, Ingo pursued a couple of them and I found like uh, that he was really involved in Avatar surprisingly. I didn't know, he, he, I didn't see this in any of his other materials. So she knows he never stopped his exploration on many things. So she doesn't want people confined. She doesn't want people fighting over Ingo. Yet in balance, you know, she doesn't want Ingo's historical marker, which I, I consider to be CRV, ultimately, as far as the public goes. Other things he may have done privately, astrology, all these other things but that one thing stands out as unique. It's the first time in human history that something like that was put in place with an actual protocol that could be verified, that could be repeated, that could be um, trained. So, so that's a unique thing. And, and maybe sometime in history, when people look back, they'll see just how, how life-changing it is for tens of thousands of people. The Reddit group has 30,000, this forum has 10,000, this, that, the other. How, and then over the years, how many people have come and gone or, you know, we don't know, but, but I'm guessing you could probably fairly say, you know, 500,000 people over the last 30 years have had their lives changed. And that would include, uh, you could even expand that number if you included people who had their lives changed by one of the derivatives. So it's a huge impact, huge, that so many people discovered that they're not locked into time and space as a body. So I know myself, I know others who had a, you know, spiritual or a consciousness awakening, whatever, because of 
CRV and, and you know, the overall body of work can go left behind. So it's a little bit complex. If the estate wanted to take this issue up, I'm sure legally they could. They could say, look, you know, we got this. And, and if you're not doing it, Dean goes away. So they, they've chosen not. And like I say, Ellie's a very gracious person, very pleasant to deal with, very, very fair. Where I'm a hypocrite is I am going to continue a little bit of arguing to establish some things that I believe are factual. When I'm corrected, hey, I'll be the first one to say, I stand corrected, I apologize, I was wrong. I'm not into being right, I'm more into just seeing this, this time capsule, this moment and this person uh, preserved. Literally right now, in fact, I know it, it just happened not too long ago, someone's teaching remote viewing and they never read anything of Ingo's. And, and that was like, what? You know? So Sasha has been very enduring over there. Oh, I'm sorry, Ida, were you done with your uh, comment? Oh, yeah, I thought it was a great discussion. And would you put the hand down because I can't find that button on my, sure. um, yeah. on my dashboard. Okay. <laughs> Y'all have no idea how complicated this dashboard is for me. There we go. Well, okay, so your hand is down. No, Sasha, uh, thank you for your patience. There you are. Hello. Hi. Okay, so I, I've been listening. I've been kind of taking notes, and I'm going to try to keep this more contained because I initially wanted to respond to some comments, and then we've just gone kind of a mm -hmm. little bit further. Um, but so... I'm hearing, it seems to me that there are two issues here. So there are some people who are arguing about maintaining, protecting CRV from corruption because that will lead to less effective means of remote viewing being taught. And then there is the other maybe group or side of it that's more concerned about maintaining Ingo's honoring Ingo and and then that somehow that prestige of being able to to link back what you're offering as a teacher to Ingo and so I think that that there are different issues that that fall under those two different perspectives I mean we're talking about licensing and certification certification only comes into play when employers want to know without having to do much of an evaluation of you for themselves, can you do the job? Do you have the knowledge to do it, the skills, um, to make sense of it? I don't wanna have to train you. So you've already been trained. So when you come to me, I just tell you, do the job and you can do the job. And I trust that that certification means that you have that ability. Um, and then in this, in David brought up um, psychotherapists. For psychotherapists, it's a little bit different. It's not so much that the certification is to say they can do the job. It's more that the certification says that they are uh, governed by a regulating body for ethics so that as a patient you go to a psychotherapist and you're if, if they're certified you're pretty sure that they're not going to try to exploit your vulnerability um, for their own gain either sexual or monetary whatever it is and so I, I it seems to me that if you're concerned about the money that's being made as an RV teacher, then you're concerned about licensing, copywriting, you're concerned about certification because you're charging high prices for something and 
and you don't want anyone to undercut. And that's another thing we get certification in, in, in psychology um, because we don't want anyone going out and saying there's a psychologist. Uh, we want to kind of regulate how much they can charge because otherwise people will undercut you. Someone can say, oh, well, I'm going to help you with your problems and I'll only charge $10 an hour. And now all of a sudden the person who paid $70,000 for their psych degree, now they can't charge the $120 an hour that they want to charge to pay off their student debt. And so I think that, that there are these concerns. And remote viewing training is so expensive and I actually think it's absurdly expensive and so there there might be this view that 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 emphasis on we have to protect this is it because you're wanting not you not anyone here but I'm just wondering is there an element of it that's wanting to protect the ability to charge those prices because if anyone can teach remote viewing any kind of bastardization of Ingo Swan's version then they can also do it for 50 bucks I'll teach you remote viewing the way I do it right and so then that undermines these people who are charging three thousand dollars and I really think that rather than be so concerned about is this the version that Ingo Swan developed is and can I trace my history back to his training somehow through my training genealogy um, we should be more concerned about the outcome are the people being trained actually able to do remote viewing because at some level if I was trained by someone uh, Paul Smith or someone who can kind of who's legitimate in the remote viewing community but I myself have really no latent sciability. And so I do all this training and I know all the protocols, but I have a 40% hit rate. <laughs> I can still claim that I was trained and I can still claim, oh, look, I have a certificate on the wall so I can, but that doesn't mean to someone who's looking to hire a remote viewer, it doesn't mean that I'm going to actually be good. And someone else who has uh, maybe extremely high latent sciability who maybe was trained by someone not within the 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 clique the the in-group who's who who we know is descended from ingo they might be able to take that person teach them flawed version of crv and that person might still outperform me right mm -hmm. and so for an employer for someone who's looking for to hire a remote viewer to help them navigate the cryptocurrency markets they're better off hiring that person than hiring someone who has a certification saying that they were trained by Paul Smith because of what matters is the how good you are. And so you, I think we have to separate that from how good you are as a teacher. And even that, again, if you're teaching military men who maybe are more reductionist materialists, let's say, um, maybe atheists, maybe pragmatists, the approach that you need to use to teach them to do remote viewing, like you were saying, Russell, that, that for you, it was kind of mind blowing this idea that there's more than the physical body. So for that population of people, scientists, um, military people who maybe have that, that, that understanding of themselves in the world, maybe this very pared down uh, clinical approach works best and gets the best results. But we can't generalize from that, that for the general population, that that's going to to, to produce the best outcome. Some people might do better if you incorporate, oh, and then you rub the crystal on your forehead before you do your remote viewing training. For some people, that placebo effect might enhance their outcome, might, might actually allow them to do better. And um, the placebo effect is extremely powerful. And so 
the rituals, the tokens, you know, Daz was saying, you know, people are adding all these unnecessary bells and whistles. And I agree, I don't think that that's optimal, but I can see that for some communities, it makes it more inviting uh, it makes them more interested in it. If you just say, oh, we're going to come here and we're going to fill out this chart with our different sensory input, <laughs> for them, they're not interested in that. So they're not going to pay $3,000 to learn how to fill out the charts of their sensory impressions and, and, and sit it and, oh, and you have the columns and rows. That appeals to me. That appeals to a lot of you. But for some people, that's just a turn off. They want the crystals. They want the incense. And, and then they want to have that the ritual experience of it. And for them as long as the, the outcome is good enough, then I think that maybe is where people are going to focus more on. And it seems to me that the people who are guiding the direction that remote viewing is going in, who are concerned with licensing and who are concerned with protecting remote viewing and CRV in particular, I, I don't know that, I, I think you're, that might be working at cross purposes with with sharing this to a broader population. And I could be completely wrong on this. I'm just putting it out there for consideration and, and discussion. Well, no, so it's a great consideration. In fact, last week when you spoke about something, you know, I really, I really enjoy the way you think and your enthusiasm is contagious. <laughs> um, a little history here and Daz, if I missed something, fill in the gap. Originally, Ingo had uh, supported and endorsed Ed Dames as an example. Then, not because necessarily, I don't know who, so I'm not going to mention names, but then Ingo himself saw some abuses and made a decision that people who were charging for remote viewing were not, uh, and this came out through the family, were not going to be welcome uh, in his Life Memorial documentary film, okay? As a little side note, Ingo himself charged a couple of civilians for their training, but he had the right to, okay? So on the other hand, by inference, uh, Ingo knew Lynn was teaching, Ingo knew Paul was teaching. I mean, Paul has, you know, hundreds of hours of, uh, maybe a couple hundred hours of phone recordings, uh, video interviews, all kinds of stuff archived toward the end of Ingo's life. So Ingo would still answer questions for him and this kind of thing. So in one sense, he even had a mixed thing. He saw the financial abuse uh, or the exploitation and even Paul and Lynn would be technically limited by the moratorium he put out, yet he remained friends, stayed in touch, offered assistance, explanation. So there's kind of a fine balance. I personally don't think there's any possibility of any organized certification ever happening. It just, it just can't be done at this point. So the issue is not so much having students certified, it's somebody going out and falsely representing Ingo. And they're getting contacted very politely by either Lynn or Lynn and Gail. And they you know, work through a situation and they say, okay, could you just not call it this? And apparently people agree and they call it something else. And I, I can name two examples, which I won't. Now you've made a <laughs> brilliant point. It, it's, it's product oriented. If I came to you, and, and this has happened to me, okay? I sat in a psychic detective training with Pam 
and a person would turn in their homework uh, and then Pam would reveal the feedback. And they literally have like a, you know, five by seven little flip, flippy pad with no process and draw a picture that looks like the suspect. I, on the other hand, turned in 14 pages of a CRV session that, that was just not, not useful at all. So it is product oriented. So in, in my own case, I would go to certain other people for accurate information compared to myself. Now, this I'll take a little bit of, of a disagreeing angle on what you said about you know the military mindset. So my girlfriend, Nancy, and then our housemate, Catherine, picked up remote viewing and crushed me with their ability literally in a matter of like weeks. So when I monitored them, they took Paul's DVD course and then I helped them. When I monitored them and stuff, I'm just like, why can't I do that? So honestly, right now, if I wanted to, to, to uh, get a hold of some information, I would, I would go to one of them and task them because their output is so good. They, they didn't go through Paul's training. They didn't get a certification. They're just good. And, and Catherine astoundingly so. Even a couple of her sessions, Paul wouldn't post in the target vault because her drawing was a spoiler for the target. So that said, I, and, and I also know some other women that grab a hold of this more quickly and have a brilliant output, even with what could be considered a rigid structure. So, I, so in my own house, I can testify that the people I trained became better than me in about one-tenth of the time. So, and they're both female. Now, the expense part, I'm definitely going to take a little bit of a defensive posture in regard um, to Paul, because right now, pretty much, he's the most expensive out there. If you, if you look at what the full package is, it's about 60 hours in a week. And he picks you up at the airport. He gets you to your hotel. He picks you up for class every morning, drops you off, takes you on field trips. I didn't mean to suggest that, that these people are overcharging. Oh, Not no, 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 no. And, and that's what I'm being defensive. I, you, you, yeah, you, and I just want to say, like, I do think yeah. what's being offered is worth it. Like you said, it's not just the training that's being offered. It's the environment. It's the atmosphere. It's the personal attention. But. Yeah, no, no. I, and, and I'm not. Your point is very, very valid. And many people don't choose uh, Paul or even a couple of others. Um, I've heard that some of the. Um, Farsight people are charging a fair rate for, say, a day's training or whatever. All I'm trying to say, so it, I'm going to boil it down because I did the math on it in a discussion with someone. It ends up being about $30 an hour. By the time you leave and then you send your homework to Paul, Paul goes literally perception by perception by perception. Um, he had to use... Uh, black ink with me because Joff used up all his red ink. No, I'm just kidding. So, and he'll write this and he'll write notes and he'll do this. And then he puts it in a priority envelope and he sends it to you and 
then you can talk to them, this kind of thing. So when I average it out, um, given the hours of class, um, it, it's about $30 an hour. Yeah, and so, I, I didn't I didn't want it to come off as, I'm not criticizing the people who are charging, I know, but I'm just suggesting that oh, yeah. the people who are offering a more pared down training session and then they wanna charge very little for it, um, there has to be, I think a stronger argument against allowing that because it's a corrupted version than to just say, well, this is not following exactly what Ingo yeah. said. Um, and then here, this is my last little point that, oh, that sure, might sure. allow, help. I think because it seems to me that a lot of what remote viewing ends up in maybe publicly, it's, it's, and maybe that's because of the Farsight Institute, I don't know, but it's this idea that remote viewing can be used to talk to aliens, to remote view the Mars or the moon. So it, it's, it's being applied to targets that there, there can't be verification. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you're looking for someone to train you remote viewing and what you're getting publicly is, oh, I'm gonna teach you how to talk to aliens telepathically and I'm gonna teach you how to view Mars then you have no way of knowing which method is best because you can't verify those, right? Yeah. Whereas I think it, when remote viewing was done for the military, there were military targets. Then it's easier to evaluate that and say, okay, did you actually get the, the, the military base in, in Russia or did you not? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's an issue that might be better to address rather than worrying so much about the corruption of the training and who's following whose technique to the letter, it might be better to say, well, what kind of targets are we looking at? And, and what's the verification? And if your students are amazing remote viewers by the end of your training program, but all their remote viewing is alien bases on the moon, then, then maybe that's where we look at what the problem is and how to yeah. resolve that. I don't know. And I, I don't think, I mean, even IRVA, who's well-established as an organizational body, they don't want anything to do with certification, judging instructors, monitoring the rate of pay. As an example, I know of people um, who instruct pro bono, one-on-one -on -one or generally one-on-one, -on -one, they'll say, hey, this person is working hard. They got a little knack going. Um, I, I do that. I'll, I'll do free things. I'll help people online, you know, this kind of thing. I'm not going to charge. Now, if I get into having to have an office and uh, all this and, and the expenses and business and taxes and all that, sure. But, you know, I think, I believe, Daz, you, you've done a fair amount of instruction pro bono, correct? Yeah. Uh, over the last two years, I've trained four people because I only do two a year. And in fact, one of the people I've just started training is quietly listening in. Uh -huh. uh, and I'm training her for the next year uh, for free right. because she has talent. Yeah. And, and so. Thank uh, you very much. He's, 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 he's talking about me, Russell. I'm Dimi. Oh, yeah. Hi, Nora. And, I, and I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy. And I'm, I'm to the moon and back uh, of the joy of being trained by Daz because I, uh, I dreamed of it since a long time well, i'm very happy and it's very good it's a very good teacher and, good, and he's, he's doing for free yeah and congratulations I, thank I'm you very much so thank you very much you. I, I knew daz's last or I, I, I knew I, I know daz's last student knew him before and 
he was so excited and seeing his improvement. So that that's awesome. So anyways, to make the point there, uh, Sasha, and I did not in any way feel like you were on the attack. Uh, attack. Uh, so, so I just wanted to kind of give a student's perspective. I feel in my own heart, the product that I paid for far, far exceeded the um, financial value. And I understand. And, and that's why I try to help people. And Paul knows I try to help people for free that are interested in some of his methods, but can't afford it. So, you know, we go that way. All right. Does that, uh, do you have anything else you want to? No, that was great. Thank you. Thank you for letting me speak. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And last week, I remember you got really deep on something. I was like, dang, so never hold back. Thank you. An interesting way of thinking. All right, so I'm going to make a command decision here, tie the knot on this topic. I think we've explored a, a whole range of ideas, um, got a little bit of information, you know, historically on Ingo's perspective, his family's perspective. I personally don't see where there's going to ever be a, a monitoring body. It's going to be what it is, and it's going to be up to the integrity of the people. That, that do it and word of mouth. So obviously if someone says, um, I met some guy at the mall that's gonna teach me remote viewing or Daz Smith's gonna teach me remote viewing, all the hands are gonna go up for Daz. And, and that's kind of probably just gonna be a community ethic loosely agreed on. So with that topic ending, what I would like to do is bring up uh, David Powell's topic, cause it's a good one and people had asked, um, about monitoring um, last time, and I, I put up, this is the only full publication that I'm aware of, and it's Lori Williams and her book on monitoring. So it is a bit of a confusing topic. And David, do you wanna be more specific in terms of clarifying what you wanted people to discuss? Yeah, there's somebody um, there's a person uh, on Facebook that I often kind of get into it a little bit with, um, and she was kind of bashing monitoring. And it, I just would like if you could describe a little bit about the benefits of it um, and, and how, it, how it can be used properly, um, beneficially, especially with the, with the good experience monitor. Because that person, I think, has the impression that a monitor is there to tell you what the target is. <laughs> right. you know or to like overlay the target to you okay and Daz, i think you're painting kind of an ugly picture of it yeah Daz, do you do like online monitoring when you're training people or do you do huh? online monitoring when you're training your students no um no I'm, i've never been monitored myself in two and a half decades over I, I don't that's not my approach i don't believe in it okay um, so I'll throw my perspective out. Joff uh, also was monitored. And so Joff, if you have anything, jump in. Please don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. So if something I say leaves a gap or you want to back it up, um, do so. Yeah, for sure. Roll. Okay. So... No, there is some confusion in, in, in two, it's actually, there's actually two terms. One is monitoring, which was for training. And then the other was interviewing, which was for operational. 
in interviewing the, what we typically call the monitor, but the interviewer should be blind to the target for operational. In monitoring, when they're, uh, when you're a student, the monitor knows what the target is. So in the case of getting monitored by Paul, first of all, it gets set up as you're the one in charge. If you don't want me to give suggestions, this, that, the other. So the, view, the viewer is placed in charge. Ingo himself, and in Tom's notes and in the later uh, CRV manual, um, there was very specific instructions and terms to be used. And what it, what it does is it, it, in a certain way, the monitoring as a student, you could maybe consider leading, but a really good monitor isn't gonna be leading. But as you're going down the column and you say blue, and then the monitor says, correct. There's like a, you know, it's like that thing they talk about on Facebook, people get adrenaline from likes, right? And it gets you addicted to uh, being on Facebook. So in a certain way, I remember like, oh, you feel good when you get that correct. And then you go down and then you hit one. Now, the way they trained it was if you got something wrong, nothing was said. There was no negative, no punishment, no nothing, just silence. So you're like blue, correct, red, correct. And you're, you know, and then uh, watery. Oh, crap, silence. So there's you know, I mean, probably at some level a Pavlovian uh, response, but remember your perceptual system has to be trained. It's used to just running amok. The mind is wheeling away and you're just looking here, look at, it has to be trained and honed in. And that was one reason that Ingo drove his particular training of CRV, which at one point he said should be a minimum of a year and another point uh, I think he said three years. It's you're building neural pathways, literally. Your mind is getting a certain programming, but your brain is actually getting physical changes. And Ingo had an idea about how long and how much repetition on a particular structure was required to do this. Now you could take that model and th that's the same for SRV. So like Daz says, if you're doing SRV, if you're doing TRV, if you're doing this, that, or the other, do that for four or five years. Don't do this one and then this one and that one and that one and that one. So the neuroplasticity doesn't apply to just CRV. It applies to any learning process. When they say, you know, for music or sports, whatever, someone has to have 10,000 hours of doing it to, to become a master. So I think Ingo was well aware of that principle and had some of his uh, own ideas. Now, <clears throat> when you get to a point where as a student, you just freeze, your, your pen just stops, your mind stops and you're like, oh no. They could say, would you like a prompt? Sure. Smells. Oh, that's right. So until you get the habit of, of thinking about, you know, let's say the basic five senses 
an inquiry in making an inquiry of the target, what are the smells there? What are the sounds? What are the tastes? I mean, Paul would actually like have you stick your tongue out like you were tasting the target. And strangely enough, sometimes you get a response. So these reminders. Now, once the training wheels come off, you don't necessarily need monitoring. But say, for instance, um, oh, what's the, what's the, um, the guy in France that has the, the big remote viewing company? Alex Champion. Yes, yes, okay. Um, he, he has all of his, he monitors all of his viewers for, or interviews all of his viewers for sessions. Now, when we got more towards um, advanced, and so now I'm, we're alternating between Bill Ray, who was very well known for his ERV abilities, very well known for his CRV abilities, was in the same class uh, as Paul with Ingo. And you sit down with him or Paul, but I'm gonna speak of Bill now, you know, it, it's intimidating. It kind of, you know, gets your nerves up. It's like, oh my God, and you know, sitting down in front of somebody who knows what they're doing and I'm gonna look like a moron and blah, 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 blah. So it helps you get over some personal inclemencies to be working with these people. And if you're gonna fail, you're gonna fail in, some, in front of somebody <clears throat> of some caliber. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, over the course of basic to advanced, you get a gradient of um, aesthetic impact. So towards advanced, you might get some targets that will generate some emotion in the viewer. So I had one where, you know, I, I've, and I've told this story before, so I'll keep it short. I basically just start crying. <clears throat> so now I'm looking across at Bill Ray, who's truly, you know, a, a soldier for many years and a man's man kind of thing, very sensitive and thoughtful guy, but I'm just saying persona wise. So you've got this whole <clears throat> crying thing going on. All of a sudden he says, Russell, it's okay. Set your pen down, you know, stand up if you need to. Uh, if you want to go outside and get some fresh air, he had me declare a, a PI break or an AI break, sorry. <clears throat> and consoled me. It's okay. It happened to all of us in the unit. There's times where things we looked at were just, you know, unhappy. Ingo was very traumatically impacted himself by a site which was an underground chemical uh, experimentation on human situation. Uh, I believe it was in East Germany at the time or something. So it can happen. So by having that coaching and, and by having a weird reaction and then having someone there that understands it and helping you, you train through it, it's useful. I, I mean, monitoring, I, I wouldn't trade monitoring as a student for anything in the world. Daz, on the other hand, he didn't have it or he's not, <clears throat> or he says he didn't have it. <clears throat> so if you, right now, we're gonna select somebody to remote view a problem for you, would it be me or Daz? Okay, I know the answer to that. So I am monitoring and again, it's one of these things you could be certified, but you not, might not be that great at it. This is product oriented. But the value of monitoring, Ingo uh, was very aware of. Tom McNears told a couple of funny stories about monitoring. 
Ingo wrote a really interesting um, thing in his uh, um, BioMind website about trying to get around the problem of telepathic overlay from a monitor or an interviewer. And there's some interesting stuff. And ultimately, the optimum solution to at least reduce it, maybe not get rid of it altogether, but to reduce it, was the viewer is in charge. The viewer is in charge, not the monitor. What they found was if someone believed they were being subservient to a monitor or an interviewer, that they were more likely to take data from this superior person. So when they put the monitor interviewer down and put the viewer in charge. So as an example, with Angela Thompson-Smith as a monitor, <coughs> she would always ask permission. Would you like a prompt? Would you like a movement command? And sometimes I would say yes, sometimes I would say no. And at one point I said, okay, I don't wanna hear correct anymore. I'm gonna go through S2 um, and see what happens at the end rather than, so there's a, there's a time where you just feel like taking the training wheels off and going for it. Anybody who hasn't been monitored that's discounting it without any kind of knowledge of remote viewing, I, I would think is, is missing a point. The monitor is not leading you um, in training and the interviewer should be blind. So that's not even an issue there. What I, what I liked about it, Russell, or what I thought was really interesting was, you know, especially when you're really keyed in the target, I, you know, drawing this clip side or whatnot. And he, he, Paul looks at me and he goes, you know, go 50 meters to the West, you know, and I'm from the States. I have no idea. Like meters, what do we, yeah. <laughs> then I go to my next sketch and then sure enough. So after I get feedback back, I mean, you're literally matching these pictures up to, you know, it was just staggering. So I, I, the, the fact that he could move you around the target because he wants you, you know, just go here or go there. Um, I thought was really brilliant. I mean, I like that about it. Right. And, and later when you're doing your homework and stuff, because you've had that input during a session, it will trigger you on your own to go, oh, that's right. I, I've got a structure. So how about something should be perceivable inside the structure? So you learn to move yourself around. Um, I mean, there's so many benefits to it from my point of view that, and I can almost kind of compare because when I was training in TRV, I didn't have any monitoring. It was a larger class. Um, it was a weekend course. And I, I would love to, in retrospect, have had, had some coaching or monitoring back then. Well, we, uh, when I say we with Joff, so. Um, I have a couple of points. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. And and uh, it's it's excellent to get that. Uh, what a, The one thing that I, I really appreciate about it is not when it, with the monitoring at the beginning is, is that it also gives you a chance that when they do give you possibly correct or correct or, or ask you to do other things, it, it gives you an opportunity to feel what you're feeling when you're on signal line. You know, so, so when they say correct or signal line, when you're in basics, you're like, oh, well, that's, 
that's what it feels like or to taste you know and and the big another big breakthrough is like you say is the prompt is is when you're operational to and you're not being monitored is to teach yourself to to prompt and and one of the things that i really appreciated well as well about uh um the monitoring is is you know like you said russell the brakes but also dropping your your pen and getting the kinesthetics not just the taste but the the air sculpting the, the target and one of them i did was el gem and you know you you feel around it and you oh man this is this is broken and another one with angela like you know you're on target and you're just you're just going nuts and she's like well can you reach out and fill the wall and all of a sudden you know your one hand just goes through and each time you're prompted and each time a monitor recognizes that you're on signal line as a viewer you feel hey i'm there and i'm on i'm on i'm on signal and that's that's what i gained mostly from the prompting but what what i appreciated the most was in in intermediate and advanced is not not working with it like without the prompts and uh, so I, I anyway that that's my point to add on to what you said which is wonderful your mic's off is there anybody else here today that has had monitoring i'm looking at the list um of people that has a monitoring story, monitoring experience, monitoring opinion that would like to jump in? Go on, just a quickie. I, I've never been monitored, but I monitor now if I teach people. Like, I, I don't teach people everything, but sometimes people are like, oh, how do you read minds? And I'm like, we got like half hour? And we just pop on a video call and do it. And what I've noticed is it's such an effective teaching tool because as a not necessarily as a remote viewer, but just as somebody in touch with their intuition, when people are making mistakes, you can identify them really super easily. Um, and it might be that, you know, when I, when I taught myself RV, I didn't have any training. I worked in a vacuum. I did stage one wrong for a year because nobody ever saw me do it. And now I can watch on a video call somebody doing something and I can see their hands stop in the air and hesitate. And I go, oh, I know what's happening there. And it's like five seconds fixed. It's really, really efficient way to, way to teach and to learn. Um, I, I would have moved a lot quicker if I'd had a monitor when I was learning, I'm sure. Thank you, David. Anybody else have a monitoring story or experience or opinion that hasn't spoken up today? And silence falls upon the room. Okay. Can I can I say I, I know Angela will do video monitoring. You know, oh, yeah. if, if people are beginners in that, she will she she's offered video monitoring and she's wonderful for basics or people and, and so patient. Yeah. And and also there's a flip side to this. After you monitor somebody, um, so I've monitored my brother, my girlfriend, and our housemate, and then a couple others. Um, you can't believe what you learn about remote viewing while you're monitoring. You can see them start to do something, ah, and you're like, oh, you know, inside you're cheering for them. And you start to recognize yourself in it. 
And in my case with, uh, you know, particularly, well, the three that I trained my brother, Catherine and Nancy, it's interesting to see how they work or how their success works in a way different than yours, et cetera. So you're gonna learn a lot being monitored. And from my experience, you're gonna learn a heck of a lot um, monitoring. Ah, Julie has appeared and I see your microphone is off. Are you ready? Yes, if that's Good. all right. Yeah, and it's really, to me, being monitored and actually the experience of being a monitor enhances your own remote viewing and only once you've experienced it from that other side do you start to realize the benefits of of having a monitor and also as much as you say a monitor needs to be blind I would say I'm experienced now with a blind monitor but also there's benefits of the monitor not being blind but as long as they've got that bland face or poker face as we've had in discussion. Um, and I know Daz isn't used to being monitored, but the way we monitor, you, you don't give them any feedback like that. And you just really keep them moving and then take them back to different places. And then it, it's incredible when you, you say, right, prepare to move, right, you're going to move up the height of a house when you've got dyslexic people that don't understand how many meters it is you just say right the height of your house and then they move up and you you watch them doing that and you're watching for their non-verbals so sometimes people might go like that and you say look you're remote viewing you can go through that level and then they get up to the wherever it is and you've already told them when you get there, you then look down and see what you, you see and tell me about it. And right, are you up there? What was your experience of getting up there? And as people move up, say they're going through a building and they've got space, then they've got layers, and you know that there's sort of it's changing. And that's what you're looking for as a monitor. And that's what quite often people, when they're viewing on their own they don't realize um, how they're trying to make sense of what they're doing but as a monitor you can help them to not overly logic it and that's to me yeah i think that's it thank you okay yeah um can i can i say I, something can i can i be like the devil's advocate on this uh again can i can i be devil's advocate on the topic of mon monitoring? Well, considering... You we'll let you, um, Daz, because I know I keep pushing and wanting you to be monitored, and you keep well, not. <laughs> in, in my opinion... Uh, Daz is Friday's I'm, home. I suppose Daz can say whatever he wants, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm off the route of, of the hardcore SRI people and the ones that almost chuck the remote viewing program out because monitoring was being done uh, because if if the monitor isn't blind to the target then it's it's not remote viewing i know you're training some but it essentially is not remote viewing mm -hmm. and you can't claim it to be remote viewing and that's where i i stand on it if if the monitor isn't uh, you know yeah, and you can say you can say you can have a poker face but we don't you know there are so many ways of human communication pheromones small twitches of the face smells you know all kinds of stuff that 
information does get imparted. So for me, it's just, it's anyone being monitored by a monitor that knows the target, it's, it's not remote viewing and it's not, it's not good. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, but, but does the experience the monitor yet? Sorry? Have you ever experienced being monitored? But that's irrelevant because it's not remote viewing. No, because you've not experienced it, you don't know. And yes, you can be talking about telepathy and stuff like that, but also even having a picture somewhere or having a target that's being coordinated is a form of telepathy or whatever. And so until you've experienced it, you can't really make any comment, can you? But I can because we're talking about a scientific technique here and remote viewing was nearly chucked out of SRI because Inga was doing monitored remote viewing sessions. So what is science? And when you look at Einstein, who recognised ether and yet was belittled for it, and then actually alienated from his scientific community. But you're talk we're talking about two different things here. I can understand how the monitor knowing would help the remote viewer in, in a training process. I understand that, and I totally agree on that, and that would help immensely. But what you're actually doing is you're not actually in those stages when you're doing that. You're not actually doing what we class as remote viewing. It's as simple as that. But you in my opinion. have but you have never been monitored. And but I know that's, that's irrelevant. We know the rules are we know the rules are remote viewing. You have to be blind to the target, and no one who knows the target can be in the vicinity of you when you're doing the target. So how come I managed to help find somebody's passport that I knew was completely missing? And he said no one's, no one's saying it doesn't work. But by the official rules of remote viewing, you can't class it as remote viewing. Right. So just read the Tao Te Ching of the named and the nameless. The named you restrict, the nameless is infinite. And I'll leave it at that. But I still will challenge you to work with a remote view, uh, monitor in your remote viewing so you actually know what you're talking about. Thank you. But I do know what I'm talking about. I've researched it. Okay. How can you possibly know that when you've not experienced it? But why? Well, he's talking it's about remote the remote definition viewing. of remote viewing, not the experience of being monitored or not. I mean, the monitor should be blind if you want to do the science experiment of remote viewing. Yes. Yeah, and the, I, I mean, I have to agree with Daz, even though I would fully support monitoring as a student. Um, yes. It, it, look, at that point, you're not quote-unquote remote viewing you're learning all they're caring about at that point really is that you're learning the structure yeah so if you're in the process of learning the structure are you a remote viewer <clears throat> there's one place in uh, fate magazine where ingo didn't even consider himself a remote viewer in a very right in a very so in the circumstance that i knew a passport was missing was i supposed to not get my um, fellow remote viewer to view it because I wouldn't be scientifically viewing it, but we actually, and well, honestly- in that sense, you are in fact blind, don't you? Because you don't know where the passport is either. Oh yeah. You yeah. know what's missing. Okay. So you are blind to the target. The target in, in is that, something that's unknown to you. And that, I think it's two different points. I, I really think it's two different points. There's the efficacy of it, and there's the scientific validity of yes. it. Yes. Yeah. And so for you, Julie, you have the efficacy. And I'm speaking from a pure beginner, so I have, again, no leg to stand on, but this is my opinion for what it's worth, where you can have great success with it. And I think there is a huge validity to monitoring, especially potentially with training, uh, again, with no experience. 
but from a scientific paradigm of something that you have to acknowledge uh, pheromones, uh, you know, our subconscious is supposed to be able to see remote places. It is going to pick up on the minute detail of human expression, both non-verbally everything. And you have to rule all of that out to actually get a pure, we have done it all. It is a psychical ability. But I think it does break down to, is it scientific and holds up? Or does it have efficacy? And it's not mutually exclusive, but in this case, it has to be for those two separate paths. Well, I also look forward to a more updated version of science, please. But I will leave it at that. You and me both. <laughs> oh, a good fiery discussion is awesome, Julie. So thank you. The, but no, I agree with that. By definition, in, in effect, by Ingo's own definition, um, as an example, when um, Paul's students uh, create target for Paul, the four of us would get aside, agree on the target, create a tasking. And then uh, in the case of our basic class, Angela, we would give it to her. She was blind. So when she gave it to Paul, so there's double blind. Now, slightly in variation to what dad says, the students were there to observe. So nobody should be in the room that knows the target. That's a violation. So I don't know if that would be technically double blind, but we knew that uh, Angela didn't know what the target was. And we knew that Paul didn't know what the target was. And then we watched Paul perform an incredibly accurate session where you're just like, wow, you know, that's so cool watching a Stargate viewer do a session and do the sketch and everything. And sure enough, they got the target. Um, does anybody, okay, now one thing I did see something fly by with my name in it. Was that you, Don? Uh, yeah, but- um, That was know, like an hour ago. I was asking a question in the uh, ask me anything category, which is like getting away from all of this stuff here. Do well, you want me to ask that question? Sure. I mean, questions are awesome. Unless, let me double check first. Is there anybody else that wants to jump in on the topic of monitoring? David, do you feel satisfied with uh, what occurred around your request? Yeah, pl plenty of action on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Okay. Thanks. All right, Don, fire away. Uh, okay, so I'm trying to find the thing, and I'm not going to find the thing, so I'm just going to have to, like, make this up on the fly. All right. Um, I'll make up an answer, too. Yeah. The, my question is, how have you adapted your RV background? I know you're taking the psychic detective class with Pam Coronado, and mm -hmm. so am I. Okay. And I made some mistakes in, you know, just to let other people know what, what goes on a little bit here. She'll hand you a picture and she'll say, the first thing the police or the detective will ask you is, is this person alive or dead? Because they want to know whether they have time to do some sort of investigation because they're deceased or is there a time sensitive issue here that goes into finding somebody that could be still alive but only has hours or something left and uh you know i was coming in with my you know remote viewing experience and um uh, 
And I wasn't getting a lot of these things right. I got the first one right. It was great. But the, you know, the next bunch of them, they, they weren't happening. So, um, so I was wondering, uh, and then she said, oh, yeah, you're going to have to ask Russell because like, you know, the, the remote viewers, when they come in, they, they you know, they, they have problems. So uh, have you figured it out? Have you changed? Have you adapted? I have to first contest that. I don't have any problems. <laughs> about. That's crazy. No, it was, it, that was very humbling. So I did six months total of her classes. And finally at the end, I had to break down much like Daz uh, indicated and just say CRV was not appropriate, um, not the optimum tool for some of the tasks. Um, it was brutal. The very first time, you know, the picture came out. So I remember it very distinctly here, it was kind of an athletic looking guy with a map of California in the background, a little ski, uh, emblem on his uh, jacket and then you know something on his pocket so my mind is like okay map of California he looks athletic he skis he this he's missing on a mountain and you know and it's just like what how in you know, the hell did my mind push that much data on me so it got to the point um, where I literally had to remind myself even though I was front loaded, I would write down my advanced visuals. So I'm picturing this guy dead on a mountain, blah, 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 blah. And then I would in brackets, almost like a movement command, I would write, I don't know. And the fact is, even though you're front loaded, you don't know the answer to the question. And so once I got myself to have all this upfront information and then remind myself, I still don't know. I just don't know. That guy could have gone to the you know, Swiss Alps and um, skied or he could, you know, so once I realized that even if I'm front loaded, I don't know. All right. So let me I, just ask, are you using, let's call it ERV for lack of a better, you know, use of a terminology uh, or better terminology. Are you trying to see, are you trying no. to psychically see? No, I, um, First of all, I know nothing about ERV experientially. Okay, that. neither do I. All right, go ahead. I I very seldom have visuals. I've had now over the course of three years, they they started to appear naturally. Um, Tom mentions in his manual that the urge on a viewer's part to have visuals is probably going to turn on imagination at least at first. So I've let visuals evolve spontaneously and they're still not substantial. Yet I've had, you know, three or four, you know, those rare sessions where I perfectly sketched, but I never saw a darn thing. Okay. Are you, so you are still sketching then you're trying to do sketches. Are you doing any ideograms? I, I, when I, every session, I, I am 100% strictly by the book. I don't vary one iota from uh, S1 through S6 structure as taught to me by Paul. Okay, all right. Now, here's the caveat, and this will probably come closer to answer your question. So I sucked on dead or alive. It was horrible. Like, I missed eight sessions in a row. And that's against probability. I, I know, I did the exact same thing. Okay, and that's probably why she's <laughs> to wrestling. 
he's as messed up as you are, right? So, <laughs> That's where that came from. The probability, I should have gotten four correct. So something in my mind, almost like counter intention. And, and then I consulted with Paul. And I said, Paul, you know, there's 15 people on these feedback nights. I look like an idiot. I'm representing remote viewing and it's just horrible. So Paul said, basically what you're doing there is it's an ARV session. Even though Pam's tasking it as describe the current condition of the body in the photo or whatever it is, your mind is still dead or alive, dead or alive. It's a binary choice. So I surrendered CRV on that. And that was a hard pill to swallow because I, I thought, well, okay, I can do everything with this. So when I sat and listened to Pam, okay, I do listen. Um, I just sat with the photo and then I started getting dead or alive, correct. No pen, no paper. I just sat there and- Are you spending more time now doing no, it? Not, not that much. And I'm not doing dead or alive except in, in training anyway. Are, are you looking at the eyes like she teaches? She has all kinds of interesting techniques based on years of experience. I didn't go, I didn't memorize in particular. I would just sit there and I would get a sense that would come basically as dead or alive. Did you try to reach out and touch them? I tried, I, I used to draw the body on the piece of paper, say in my stage three, and then probe the little gingerbread person. Okay, okay, you're doing it that way, okay. None of, but none of that worked for me. So when oh, I, none of it worked. Not for me, that didn't work on dead or alive. I would literally do a full stage one through three session. And then when I got to stage three, I'd draw the little gingerbread person and I put my pen to see if you could feel a, a carotid pulse or, um, you know, pretend to lean down and see if you can, you feel them breathing. It's kind of, it, it, I just was, I, I was horrible at it. But when I just simply sat and used whatever perception came in that thing, and it wasn't, I really didn't have to do it for more than a minute. Okay. So like an aesthetic impact kind of a thing. No, it was almost more like the word dead or alive would kind of come out of the process. And then I would write that down and, oh, good. You know, you got one right after your horrible streak, right? So so I had I surrendered CRV and went with what you would just call maybe more of a direct psychic um, thing. And then um, the one thing that I came out of that with, CRV is really good for not an uh, actual location, like uh, Daz says, the police would rather just have a GPS coordinate. But to describe the surroundings, I did very well at that. So if it was deserty or mountainy, or there's a couple times I did draw the nearest um, um, landmark, uh, visible landmark correctly. So I just surrendered CRV on dead or alive. And what was, what's the other one? Um, Oh, um, match the perp or, or draw the right, perp. Right, exactly. So I would sit with those three photos. And in that case, I did use a little bit of Pam's technique where if that person in the photo had really flat eyes, I mean, so people understand. So Pam would give you three photos and they're all mug shots. So, so you know the person at least got in some kind of trouble, but she would say which of the three or four was a violent offender. 
And so you could look at someone that just looked like, you know, a, a biker from hell. Turns out they were a shoplifter. You look at somebody else that looked like your preppy college student, turns out they were a murderer. So you, you get these pictures. And the one thing I did incorporate at PAMS is if the eyes were kind of flat and disconnected, I had a, actually, that was where I was most successful was um, assessing the violent offender or whatever the, the criteria was. But I surrendered remote viewing on that and on dead or alive. Found out remote viewing worked really well for a, a description of the location, although not how to find the location. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, did you involve dowsing at all? I didn't. Um, I, I was holding off. I've got Paul's dowsing DVD here. I haven't even opened it. I was going to wait to kind of reward myself for getting my graduation uh, advanced certificate. And I haven't cracked that. So as far as dousing goes, I did well on the one day that we had it in class. Then I participated in a broader experiment and, and you know, I might as well not even been on the same continent um, trying to get a location in, in, in relation to a piece of property and then what was in a container. So my dousing on that one stunk. So I've, I've only done dousing in training and then that one actual time. And one of these days, I'm going to open the darn DVD and take the course. Okay. So that's, all right. So I, I I'm that's to get an thing. idea. You, you are definitely adapting sort of like to the, the need. You're adapting to the need. Yeah. Or, I mean, look, there's just some areas. There's no, I don't know anybody that's going to be a perfect jack of all trades. So even when one of the people who I do operational sessions for, um, she might not use me at all on a project or on another situation, she might use me and not use somebody else because this person keeps track. This person's really good at colors or this person's really good at identifying, you know, this, that, or the other. I, I, I've noticed that, yeah, some so, people. Oh, she died in the water. She's, you know, she drowned. Wow. Where did they come up with that? That's amazing. So they're accurate. Whatever our little niches are, um, a good uh, tasker is, is going to use what, what you have a, a favorable tendency toward. And it's not to be taken personal. So let's say somebody calls up Joff and wants Joff to do this session because it involves this. And then I'm like, well, why do they call Joff and not me? Or the next time they could call me and not Joff. And that's fine. You've got to let all that stuff go. And one of the biggest things that you get out of training overall is professionalism. You send your session. You say thank you in the email. You don't pre-excuse yourself. You don't say, oh, you know, blah, blah. you just say thank you. You get your feedback if you get feedback, which is not very often. And you keep the communication down. That poor... Uh, tasker, if they're also the analyzer, they've got to collate mass set. That's a, when I took operational training, that's, that's the hard part of remote viewing, being a project manager. And mm -hmm. so you just shut up, don't make any excuses. Or if they come back and the feedback and they say you were way off, you say, okay, do you have any tips for me? And you just keep it brief, keep it concise, put your product out there in a structure they can use and minimize everything because you worked for an hour, they're gonna work for 40. 
Okay, uh, I'm, I'm getting the idea. Uh, I just wanted to see whether you're sort of adapting as I'm starting to feel the yeah. need to. No, we need, I mean, it, uh, how can I put it? It's it, a different animal. Well, it deeply irritated me that I had to admit, especially, you know, you get to know a group of people over six months, that I had to admit CRV was not optimum for something. I started out with an idealism that was a little kooky. Um, one, that it would take about 90 days to become a professional at it. And two, that it can solve every damn problem in the universe. So as I had to lay those gauntlets down along the way, it's come with a little, uh, you know, red face now and, now and then. But the truth is, it just wasn't the right tool for those particular tasks by me. Someone else might be able to take it and make it work. I didn't. I couldn't. Okay. All right. Thank you, Russell. Okay. So we're a little over two hours. Does anybody want to uh, throw anything in, add to the, any of the topics, close out with a statement, anything? Is anybody just itching to speak? Okay. So I would estimate that we're probably at a nice natural winding down point. This has been a really awesome discussion. Joff, thanks for your topic, David, your topic, um, everybody's observations and opinions. Um, I, I always want to do this at the end, kind of inspire people who sit there so patiently and quietly or stay off the camera. Um, please don't be shy. It, it, this is an opportunity for us to get to know each other and you know, drag your uh, questions out get some opinions, whatever. So please feel welcome, whether you've no remote viewing or great at it, bad at it, whatever. Come out, out into the open and ask some questions and, and uh, let us get to know you. So with that, I will say thank you to everybody and appreciate it. Daz, as always, thank you for doing this. And then the uh, $10,000 check for co-hosting, you can just send to the normal post office box. All right. Take care, everybody. Good night, all. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed.